This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? I'm weak from hunger. I'm running a fever. I got a hole in my shoe. If you gave me a chance, we could be living like kings. You want to talk? It's about the Florida job. The Florida job? Get out of here. What kind of a band is it anyway? You got to be under 25. We could pass for that. You got to be blonde. We could dye our hair. And you got to be girls. We could. No, we could. I understand you're looking for a couple of girl musicians. BFM 89.9, you are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn and an under-the-weather Sharmila. So if you listen to our show, uh, the Evening Edition, Inside Story and so on, you will have noticed um, a, a marked absence in the studio. And that's because Sharmila's not feeling well, although she's, she's braving a cold fundamentally to come and talk about Marilyn Monroe. Yes, some like it hot is one. Oh, look, my voice. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry you have to listen to this, but I'm trying. Um, but some like it hot is one of my favorite classic films. Um, so I had to talk about it. So I decided I would brave this and make it through. Um, it's a movie that comes with so much uh, sort of so much writing on it, right? It's consistently been voted one of the best comedies of all time, one of Marilyn Monroe's best performances of all time, one of Jack Lemmon's best performances of all time. So there's a lot for it. Um, upon the rewatch this time, the one thing I realized was that it's actually one of those few classic films that you could recommend to a modern audience and they probably wouldn't be bored or sort of put off by it because there's just so much, um, there's so much lightness and joy and fun to it. And even the themes, they're actually really quite progressive. Oddly enough, it's also one of the longer classic movies. Mm. Yeah, because uh, I, I think, you know, I, I tend to head into these movies from the 50s and 60s expecting a, a 90 minute run. Um, and this is two hours, but it's two hours packed to the brim with goings on, with witty conversations, with slapstick humour. So there's, there's a lot that's packed into the movie. And it is, okay, how do we begin to describe it? Basically, two musicians um, played, by, played by Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis. Uh, kind of on their last legs financially and then accidentally they witness a gang murder. <laughs> um, and, it's as silly as that sounds. Yes, I know. They accidentally witness a gang murder, like a slaying of seven people, and then finds themselves, uh, and then they find themselves on the run. There happens to be a band heading to Florida for a couple of weeks that need a bassist and a saxophonist. And the the catch being that they're looking for women to which these two go ah well okay no followed by ah well okay we need to and so they dress up in drag they get on the train and that's where they meet Marilyn Monroe's sugar cane 
Yes. And if this sounds like Tootsie or Mrs. Doubtfire or even White Chicks, um, that's because this is kind of the granddaddy of all of those films. This was one of the very first films that even allowed men to dress in drag on screen. And in fact, is noted for being one of the reasons why the... Um, the American motion picture code was altered because before that there were very strict morality codes for what they could show on screen. Yeah, but then this made money. This made money. It was too popular and they just couldn't do anything about it because they basically released this in violation of the code. But the boring stuff aside, I think the, you know, the, the idea of a cross-dressing, like men dressed as women trope might feel a little dated and it might feel a little... Um, samey by this point. But going back to this film um, often reminds me of how it doesn't have to always just be about the comedy. It can also just be about showing men a world that they never knew existed. And that's one thing this movie does so well. But also, it's so funny. Um, the performances are so funny. Seeing someone who looks like Tony Curtis, who's that good looking, um, you know, being forced to play a, essentially a, a rather dowdy looking woman um, is in itself such a joy to watch and then there's Jack Lemmon's face there's Jack Lemmon's face there's Jack Lemmon's voice uh, Jack Lemmon <laughs> was for me the laugh out loud MVP mm -hmm. of the thing because his um, his anxiety his lustiness <laughs> just like all the all the contradictions of his character uh, Geraldine who decides then to become Daphne because never liked the name Geraldine it turns out um, is so enjoyable to watch and, and the two men in particular have really wonderful chemistry whether they're relating to one another as, as men uh, the down on their luck musicians, you know, uh, Joe and Joe and Jerry, yeah, uh, Joe and Jerry, or whether they are women or men dressed as women doing the most horrendous female voices, which is part of what makes it so funny. Um, and, you know, kind of relating to each other by accidentally breaking each other's bras and stuff. <laughs> Or complaining about being harassed by men, which yes. is one of my one of my most favorite things about this movie. Um, I think comedy actually is so underrated in terms of what the performance requires, right? And um, you mentioned Jack Lemon, but I think everyone in this film, um, and we'll probably talk more about Marilyn Monroe later. Um, everyone in this film has such perfect comedic timing. There are scenes in this which involve uh, crawling under tables, uh, sort of sliding across floors, um, catching a gun, and, and everyone executes the physical comedy and the verbal comedy so well. Um, when you say laugh out loud, there are so many moments in this film that you're just sort of laughing at because on the one hand, it's ridiculous. On the other hand, it's also just perfectly executed. What is... Tony Curtis's accent. So, um, because I. So apparently it's supposed to be a parody of the Cary Grant type accent. All right, all right. <laughs> but I, done badly. I can't do it. Like a Brooklyn kid's idea of what Cary Grant sounds like. Right. I can't do it. But then again, <laughs> neither could Joe. Neither <laughs> could know? he. Yes. Yeah, he really. It's, it's a really weird mishmash of things. Um, and that takes place because I got us as far earlier as the, the two musicians getting on the train to Florida. But then once they're in Florida, you know, another, another new set of farcical hijinks emerge because basically, they're both kind of in competition um, for the affections of sugar um, with Joe deciding or Joe finding out or Joe incepting what kind of man she would like and then deciding that he's going to play both parts. Yes. And that in itself. So the thing I love about this film is that, right, 
none of these people are particularly likable on paper. They're all liars and they're all cons, including Sugar, played by Marilyn Monroe. But in the execution of it, it kind of all feels okay because it kind of feels like they're all decent people just trying to get by with the lot that's been let, uh, dealt, the, the lot they've been dealt with in life. Even Osgood. Even Osgood. Oh, Osgood. I, I have so much love for Osgood, <laughs> who is basically um, a suitor, a rich suitor, who pops up for Daphne, played by Jack Lemmon, um, and is probably one of the best things about this movie. Um, this movie is known for having um, one of the most memorable screen endings. I won't give it away, but that for me actually elevates this film above so many other things. So we're talking today about Some Like It Hot from 1959. It is from so very long ago and it holds up so very well. Uh, let us know, have you watched it? Are you a fan of Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, or for that matter, um, the film's director, producer and co-writer, Billy Wilder? Because, you know, if we're going to be talking about classic Hollywood, these are names that continue to stay relevant. Um, but yeah, let us know. You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Banish fraudulent manoeuvres. BFM 89.9. <laughs> BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn and Sharmilat on Throwback Tuesday today, ahead of Blonde, uh, which we're reviewing tomorrow. We are taking it back to 1959 and a classic with Marilyn Monroe. Some like it hot. Uh, it was directed, produced, co-written by Billy Wilder. Alongside Marilyn, it had Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, George Raft, Joe E. Brown, just a lot of luminaries of the time. Uh, let's talk a bit about Marilyn because we... We've mentioned the the dudes basically, and to me, to me honestly, the film does belong to them. I think that Marilyn Monroe is kind of a scene stealer, and of course, you're looking at somebody playing in many ways an archetypal role for herself, right? The blonde bombshell. Uh, she actually says it out loud. I'm not very bright, um, you know. And so there is this idea of Marilyn playing Marilyn, but. Nevertheless, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that it would have worked without her. No, I don't think it would have, actually. Um, I mean, you get all of the things that people probably remember about Marilyn Monroe on screen, right? The soft focus, close-ups, the huge dazzling smile, that song. I mean, if you just look up that song on YouTube, I Just Want to Be Loved by You, she's stunning. Um, the way she's shot, the way she's dressed, uh, her gown um, her gown person gets their own credit in the, in the credit list. So I don't think the film would have worked without her, one, because she is a scene stealer just based on her charisma and her looks. But I think um, the thing that she doesn't often get enough credit for in most of her films, actually, is the the sort of slyness that she brings to the, these sorts of roles. Because on the one hand, she's unabashed about being a social climber. She's unabashed about looking for a rich husband. But on the other hand, she also 
talk she also is very good at putting forth the realities of why um the difficulties that she comes from the the kind of background and why she needs to make these choices and i think that if you look at it within the context of the time that she was um acting and the time that this movie was set in which is the 20s um I think she adds a layer of humanness and a, and a, a layer of sadness even um, that you could well not have had and the film would have kind of worked, but it's so much richer because it's there. Well, that and she's sweet. Because yes. a, a lot of the things that you're describing, right, this idea of a social climber, somebody who um, is meeting men with a very particular intent and intention um, and understanding also that they are meeting her with, um, you know, wanting something out of it. That could very easily have read kind of cold or sly, mm. um, but instead, or you, I mean, you did say sly, but I, I think that this is a sort of cunningness of a different type, right? Yeah. Because she's sweet, she's believable, and you root for her, despite the fact that, you, you know, you know all these things. And the, the film outright catches her in these lies and inventions. And that's actually part of the pleasure of the movie, by the way, I think, that the... It's not interested in hoodwinking its audience. So basically, every twist and turn and every um, machination that happens, every new thing that falls into place the same way that the elevator moves from floor to floor, all of that is done with the intention of... um, showing you, the audience, exactly how the story is moving and ticking along. And I think that that's actually part of the pleasure of watching something that is like this, that that has a a farcical, it's not a heist necessarily, but a sort of farcical pulling one over each other quality to it. You used the word hijinks earlier, and it's the perfect word for this film. Um, there are scenes with Jack Lemon, Tony Curtis, and Marilyn Monroe, where they're just all kind of ping-ponging off each other. Um, there's a scene on a beach where each of them are lying through their teeth. And you, as the audience, know that that's happening. You can catch each of their lies. It's so fun. It's so much fun watching this film. And, and I think that that's partly... That's partly the joy of watching it because I think comedies have become very segmented these days. They've become sort of you have your gross out comedies, you have your bro comedies, you have your romantic comedies. This film is actually just interested in being fun and clever. And that kind of carries it through whether it's a scene of girls getting drunk on a train and falling all over each other or it's sort of like wordplay that's kind of bawdy and and clever. It's all so much fun. And it all fits together perfectly. I I Mm. think that that was the thing I came away from it with because the everything all all the plans in the movie hinge on minutes, on things just going exactly correct the way these, uh, frankly, scumbags are, are hoping that it will. <laughs> and and so part of the, the joy of watching the movie is in seeing the way each thing hangs on the other and links up beautifully. And that extends to the set pieces of which there are many. So um, that clip there, Marilyn Monroe singing, that's one set piece. But then there are others that are very action-packed. Um, you mentioned earlier people crawling under tables. And there are entire sequences in which two people are trying to escape and they're running from room to room within a hotel, um, both above ground, below tables, um, you know, climbing down things. And in each sequence, it's as well put together as the best of any action movie in that you know where everybody is and you know exactly what's happening. And I thought that that was a beautiful thing to see. 
Oh, you know, this movie was made sort of mid to late career for Billy Wilder. And you can really see that he's an expert at staging scenes, right? Everything is just perfect. The hotel itself is such a character in its own right. Um, by the time you finish the movie, you feel like you've walked through the hotel with the characters because of how much and how dynamic everything is. Um, I love the way this film looks. I love the way it's shot. Um, and, and I think that I think that's another reason why it's so watchable today. It doesn't feel dated or old. You, like you said, it feels as quick and well put together as many modern films. Quick shout out also to, um, so you mentioned earlier the, the costumer for Marilyn Monroe, um, Aura Kelly, who is also the same person who then made the clothes for the gentlemen when they were dressing as mm. women, because, um, otherwise I think what the studio had provided just, just, didn't look good, frankly. Um, and also to Adolf Deutsch, who created the soundtrack, because the soundtrack is so, so important to setting the scene and letting you know exactly where we are in Americana. Yes, especially because it's meant to be about the jazz age, right? And about musicians. So about big very, bands. Yeah, and, and the sound of the film is absolutely lovely. Also, if you're, um, and I'm going to just invoke Arvin, because Arvin is very quick usually to be sensitive to when films are done in black and white. And uh, Some Like It Hot was supposed to be in colour. Um, so per Marilyn Monroe's contract, it should have been shot in colour. But there was a collective decision to instead swap over to black and white because, and I quote, Jack Lemon and Tony Curtis in full drag costume and makeup looked unacceptably <laughs> grotesque. And I love that phrase because even in black and white, they, they veer grotesque, which I love. It's part of what, it's part of what makes it funny. There were many parts in the film where I thought it's a good thing we cannot see what that makeup is doing to your face. I mean, the laugh alone, the Jack Lemon yeah. laugh, the Daphne laugh, the ha ha ha, I can't do it. Um, that alone, I never want to see in colour. Like, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine in black and white. I will say, though, that the one scene in the film that I will watch over and over again is probably Jack Lemon and Joey Brown tangoing. <laughs> It's it's such a thing of beauty. It is. And he kind of fell in love. I mean, who's yes. to say? Yeah, there was a, there love was it. a separate, you know, bee romance that was happening in Some Like It Hot. That was also very, very sweet. Um, okay, so that's what we've been throwing back to today. 1959's Some Like It Hot. Highly recommend. Uh, let us know if you've watched it or if you plan to. WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us as well at movies at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.